0: We are in uh, Jonah, chapter one. We're going to look at verses seven through 10. Uh, up to this point in Jonah. if you're just jumping on board, the Lord speaks to Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, commands him to go to Nineveh and proclaim judgment on Nineveh, and he doesn't. He doesn't go, he goes the opposite direction. Uh, The scriptures tell us not only is he going away from this command of the Lord, but he's fleeing the presence of the Lord. And so we saw last week uh, that the Lord responds to Jonah's disobedience, throws this wind, this storm onto the sea. um, And Jonah, in response to the storm, goes to sleep and doesn't uh, repent, doesn't do what we would think that he ought to do, um, but goes to sleep. And that's where we pick up uh, this week, starting at verse 7. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me, I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. You can follow along. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you for your grace that we've just sung about, Lord. The blood of Jesus, you You came even while we were still sinners, Christ. You died for us. You have proven, Lord, that you love us. And we praise you for your grace. We need your grace in this time together, Lord. We want to be hearers of your word. We pray that your grace would abound among us. Give us ears to hear. Help us to not um, set our hearts against your word or what you have told us to do, Lord, but incline our hearts to your word. Open the eyes of our heart that we would behold wonderful things out of your law, Lord. Help us, we pray, that you would be glorified through us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Jonah is up from his slumber. He's awakened. He comes, imagine, to the deck of this ship. And they say to one another, these sailors say to one another, let's cast lots, let's find out. They have a hunch, they are suspicious that there is something that has happened to offend offend some God. And that the offense is what has brought about this calamity. And so they want to get to the bottom of this. They want to know what's going on, who has offended this God, and how can we appease this God, that he would calm this water and we would get safely to the other side to dry land. And so they say, let's cast lots and we find from the passage that they cast lots lots were uh kind of like us rolling dice they would have taken pieces of bone or or stones and 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 they would roll them and they were marked in such a way that the result would be coming up with some sort of a yes or no answer and so they cast lots and the lots fall on jonah jonah is the guilty person proverbs sixteen thirty three says The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God, Solomon is saying in writing Proverbs, is... Sovereign over even the most random of things. You can you can imagine here this this the wisest man that's ever lived is Solomon, and he writes that the lot is cast, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The the most random thing that he could possibly think of, just casting of dice, and he says even that even that decision is from the Lord. The Lord is in that. The Lord is controlling that. He's sovereign. He reigns over that. It's every decision is from the Lord. And we see his sovereign hand here. Jonah thinks that he is going to flee, escape from the presence of the Lord. The Lord is involved in all of this response, the storm and everything. And even here now in the randomness of casting lots, it falls on Jonah and he is found out. A question that sometimes comes up when we talk about casting lots is, why don't we do that anymore? Why don't we just cast lots? If if God is sovereign right if the lot is cast in the lap and it's every decision is from the Lord we believe that I believe that I believe that that scripture is completely true if it's every decision is from the Lord then why don't we just cast lots uh, how many of you would be like i I could go for that. I mean, if it was like, if that was the biblical way to make decisions, you're lying that you didn't raise your hand. Thank you, Alec, was honest here. You're lying, right? Elders meetings would be way better if we had a list of things to do and Michael's sitting there with the the little lots right there in his hand and it's like, okay, what are we going to do about this? (laughs) Awesome. OK, that's done. We're done in like 30 minutes and we've accomplished great things. Thanks to the Lord using the lot. Right. So we would we would want to do that. But why don't we? We see it in Scripture and it says that God's sovereign over its every decision. If that's the case, then why don't we now cast lots to make decision? And the reason for that is, is the Lord wants us to be led by his spirit. We have a spirit in us. He wants to be us to be led by his spirit and by his word. In fact, if you remember the last time that lots are cast in the scripture is where? In Acts chapter one, verse twenty six. And that's where the apostles are gathered and Judas is 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 a abandoned the lord and 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 turned the lord in and now he's killed himself and and these two men are brought before the apostles right and they cast lots to decide which one is going to take the place of judas and that's the last time we see lots being cast in the scriptures what happens in the very next few verses after acts 126 The spirit comes and fills us up until that point. The spirit didn't fill believers. It would become on believers and off of believers and and God would empower people. But but until that point, the spirit didn't come and fill and dwell and stay remain in believers and from that point forward, we have God's spirit. And Jesus says, it's, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I go away, then the spirit is going to come. And he's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to remind you of the things that I've spoken to you. He's going to guide you. He's going he's to, if we walk by the spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And so now we have the spirit in us who reminds us of God's word. And we're guided by his word and by the spirit leading us. And so we don't revert to casting lots now that may be disappointing to you but we need to remember what jesus said it's better it's better for you that i go away it's better that you have the spirit inside of you living in you dwelling in you guiding you and if you walk by the spirit you won't gratify the desires of the flesh paul says so we don't cast lots anymore they did you can imagine Jonah, who's who's awakened from the slumber in the midst of this storm. How did he sleep in the first place? But he does in rebellion against the Lord and against the judgment of the Lord. And he's asleep and the captain comes in and wakes him up. And then he comes up to this top of this deck and this storm is still going on. Right. I was thinking about this this week. Here they are casting lots and this ship is about to break apart because of the the greatness, the horror of this storm. And and somehow they managed to make it through this this thing of casting lots, whether they're sitting there or whatever. This waves are just ravaging the boat and they're just they're sitting there, standing there. And Jonah doesn't say a peep, just waiting it out. And he could have come up from the ship, could have rubbed his eyes and said, look, 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 it's my fault. It's me. I'm. I'm I'm in total rebellion. It's me. He doesn't. He stands there. Let's gather around. Let's cast lots. Let's find out who's at fault here for what's going on. He just stands there. It's very reminiscent of, of Achan, right? Remember Achan where Achan sins and, and, and Joshua and, and, and the Israelites, they go and, and they take out um, uh, Jericho. And, and, and the Lord said, don't take anything with you. And he steals. He, he sins. And so no one knows that he's stolen this stuff. He hides it. And then they go back out and the Lord's not with them and they're defeated and they're weeping and they're crying out what's going on. It was all because of Achan's sin. And so what happens? God says, we're going to bring the people before. The whole tribe's affected. You're going to bring the tribe, and then we're going to take it clan by clan and family by family and person, man by man. And then I'm going to tell you who's at fault. And through this whole thing, what does Achan do? What's going on? I mean, you know, he's just quiet. He's quiet. He to step forward at first. Let's not go through the whole process. Let's just, wait, it's me. I'm the one. I've sinned against the Lord. He doesn't do it. And likewise, Jonah standing here, he's not, he's not confessing. The truth has to be pulled from him. In verse 8, the lot falls to Jonah then. Guilt is known. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? You can imagine this was probably not like a peaceful questioning. And probably not just from one person. Hey, I have a few questions. There's probably chaos in the midst of this. They're afraid from the storm. Now they're afraid for other reasons. And they know who's guilty, who's probably the cause of this great storm. And you can imagine probably different ones of them shouting out these questions at Jonah. What's going on, Jonah? Why are you here? What's happening? What have you done? Who are you? From what people are you from? What's happening here, Jonah? The sailors assume that the storm is due to an offense against a god, and now they know the offender and they want to know what's going on. And Jonah responds in verse nine. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I want to look at Jonah's response there. I, I think that it's not pointless. Meaningless. I think the order of Jonah's response tells us something about Jonah that we've already seen, but it reveals it even more. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh. What's happening here? Jonah finds his identity more in his country than in the Lord. That's why he's on a boat and not in Nineveh. Jonah loves his people. He hates the fact that Nineveh continues to attack his people. And so when God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, the people that hate your people and have done horrible things against your people. And I want them to tell you that I'm coming to judge. He refuses to do so because he knows we've seen God is merciful. I'm not going there to tell he'll save those people. I love my people. I hate those people. And so he doesn't go. He loves his own country. His identity is more in his own people than it is in the Lord. If he had feared the Lord, he would have gone to Nineveh. He wouldn't be on a boat. How true is that of so many Christians in our country who find their identity in the country more than they do in the Lord People who are more vocal and emotional, having higher affections about their allegiance to the flag than their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Our highest allegiance and Jonah's highest allegiance must be to the Lord, must be to the Lord. And all of our other allegiances, whether it's our family or our job or our, our country or whatever, we have other allegiances, things that we we're devoted to, things that we love, things that we care about. But all of those other sub-allegiances, lesser allegiances, must submit to the Lord. And we look at those allegiances through the filter of God's word and through our identity in Christ. We do not find our identity in those things. We don't find our identity in our country or our people. We find our identity in Christ. Our identity is Christ. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I love in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that we'll look more at later, but where Paul says the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls me. My identity is in Christ, and so I look at every other allegiance through the grid of Christ. Jonah's not doing that. I'm a Hebrew first. I fear the Lord. When Jonah says, I fear the Lord, we who are spectators reading this know better. We say, no, you don't. You don't truly fear the Lord. And we say that because his actions betray him. His actions don't match his proclamation. See, the fear of the Lord is, is, is more than a song that we sing. It's more than a passage of scripture that we memorize. It's more than a proclamation we make. If Jonah had truly feared the Lord, he wouldn't be telling sailors on a ship. He would be telling Ninevites. He wouldn't be where he's at if he had truly feared the Lord. Malachi 1 verse 14 says, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So what does that look like? What does that look like to fear the Lord as, as people who find their identity in Christ? If we're hidden in Christ, what does that look like to fear the Lord? In Matthew twenty uh, ten twenty eight, 28, Jesus is, is talking to the disciples. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather... Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, in the context of that, and I encourage you, read it, okay? This is a wonderful, wonderful text. Jesus teaching his disciples, preparing his disciples, preparing to send them out. And in the context there, as he begins that section, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, and in teaching, he says, if, if they persecuted me, your leader, if they have persecuted me, your master, then they're going to persecute you. And in the midst of it, he says, um, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So here's Jesus. I'm, I'm going to confess to you. I don't think I embrace and meditate on What does that text mean for me day in and day out? What does it mean for me as a follower of Christ to to be sent out and to go out knowing Jesus has sent me out as a sheep among wolves. And I'm to proclaim what I've heard whispered to me, what Jesus has whispered. I'm to proclaim from the housetops. And he said in the midst of there, by the way, just as they've done to me, they're going to do to you. They're going to persecute you because they persecuted me. They're going to hate you because they hated me. I don't think I meditate on what does that look like day in and day out. But that's what Jesus is saying. In the midst of that, don't fear man. Don't fear man, fear God and proclaim. Even though you know they're going to do to you what they did to me, don't fear man, fear God. And and in other words, what he's saying is, don't be afraid to go to Nineveh. Be afraid not to go to Nineveh. Because you're not going is a display of you're not believing. And I'm not saying there that every single person, all of you need to go to a a dark and difficult and unreached place that all of you have to leave and go to those places. We're talking about obedience here. Fear not obeying. If, if, if the Lord has called all of us to make disciples and to go and proclaim the gospel to make the disciples, then be more afraid of not doing that. Fear God, not man. Don't be afraid of what they'll do to you. Fear what will happen if you don't obey the Lord and what that means about your heart if you're not obedient. Fear God. We see a great example of that in Acts chapter 9, verse 31 where it says that the believers were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And what's the result of them doing that? The church multiplied, it says. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. That's a beautiful picture. You have this these, these people who are who are balancing between, I, I truly, I tremble, I Fear before the Lord, but I have the spirit in me. He's comforting me. He's telling me, he's reminding me, you are loved. You're adopted. He is. He's given his son to prove his love. He loves you. You are hidden in Christ. In Christ, you are holy and blameless. And yet I fear the Lord. And so I'm going to obey him because of what he's done for me and, and all that he's given me and, and how he's blessed me in Christ. I'm going to be obedient. And you see that in these disciples. They fear the Lord. And so they're obedient. And obeying the great commission and the church multiplies. You see, when I fear man, I let man dictate my decisions. You wrestle with that ever? You're more afraid of what people think of you. And so you're you're, in your mind, you're wrestling and your heart's wavering between what you know you should do and what some person wants you to do. How am I going to be perceived in this person's eyes if I do what I know I'm supposed to do? And we want to be, we want to find approval in the hearts and eyes of man more than we want to be approved by God. And so when I fear man, I let man dictate my decisions. But when I fear God, I let him dictate my life as opposed to culture or what people think about me. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't fear men. Don't let them dictate what you're going to do. Don't let them dictate your decisions. Fear God obey Him. Know that there's there's going to be trouble, there's going to be trials, there's going to be difficulty, but fear God and obey His commands. Acts 19, verse 17, we see this. It says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. What's the result of us fearing the Lord? Jesus is extolled. We praise him. We worship him through our obedience and through the words that are on our mouth because we truly fear him. That's a good thing. If The result of fearing God is extolling Jesus Christ and fearing God is a good thing. We see that in these Disciples, the fear of the Lord resulted in extolling Jesus. Why? Because their attention and concern was on Him. They're concerned with what the Lord wanted, not what man wanted. We see this even practically speaking in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting with verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance. And not about what is in the heart. For if we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. That one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. When I fear God, we see... A few things that Paul mentions here. First of all, I aim to please him. I'm not aimed at at pleasing man. I'm not aimed at making decisions that please the people that stand before me. I'm not afraid of what they're going to think anymore. I'm not afraid of what they might do. I fear the Lord and I do what he has told me to do. My, My aim is to please God. Not just that, but he says in 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We know that there is nothing greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want others to know that gospel. And so we are compelled to persuade them. Why? Because we fear the Lord. And we walk in obedience. We, we care more about what he thinks of us and what he desires of us than what other people think of us. And so when he says, go and make disciples, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. What what you've heard me whisper, proclaim from the rooftops. We obey him because we love him and we want to please him. And then we see in verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. We're controlled. We're directed. We're influenced by Christ and his love. And that's so important for us to understand. This is not we're being compelled by law. We're controlled and compelled by love. We are undeserving servants. We're nothing. And the Lord has lavished his grace, poured his grace out on us. How do I respond to that? I'm controlled by the love of Christ. Just as he's loved me, I want to love him and I want to obey him out of fear of the Lord. You go into chapter 7, just a few. A couple chapters later in, in the beginning of chapter 7, Paul says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That's, the, that's like the beginning of the fear of the Lord, right? That's wisdom, first of all. That we would, we would confess our sins and, and walk in purity. You see that in Isaiah chapter 6 when his, his eyes see the Lord, when he's before the Lord. What's the first thing that he does? He confesses his sin. The fear of the Lord leads us to that, that we would be pure and holy in Christ. so, how do we do that? How do we cultivate that kind of a fear in us? Jonah Jonah clearly at this point in his life is not fearing the Lord the way he's saying he fears the Lord. How do we cultivate that in ourselves? First of all, I would say preach the gospel to yourself every single day. I ought to be preaching the gospel to myself every day in every circumstance. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ controls us because... We have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ controls me and compels me and leads me because I know for certain the gospel is true. I know that Jesus died for me. I know that God lavished his grace on me. I know that my identity is now in Christ, not in the old flesh. I'm a new creation. I don't have to pretend and live as if I'm still the old. I'm new creation. I'm holy and blameless before him. And the truth of that gospel compels me to be controlled by the love of Christ and not by the attention of man. As followers of Jesus, of those, as those who are hidden in Christ, we ought to bring our heart and mind under submission to the truth of the gospel every single day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day and every circumstance. What has Christ called me to? How, 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 I ought to, how should I respond to this circumstance in light of the gospel? Back in Jonah chapter 1, verse 10, Jonah replies to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. Notice what Jonah says, I fear the Lord, Yahweh, who made the sea and the dry land. Those are two of the things that they're most concerned about right now. They want to get off of the sea, and they want to get on to dry land. And they put it together, Jonah is the servant of Yahweh, the one true God who controls both the sea that is about to break this ship apart and the dry land that we desperately want to get to. And there is great fear in them. Now imagine that. We've seen already in, the, in the, just the first verses how afraid they are because of the storm we all would be. In the midst of this ship, these sailors who knew the seas and who had been in many storms, they're terrified because this is a different kind of storm. This is supernatural, not a natural disaster. They're terrified because of the storm. And now that terror, that fear is elevated because they have connected the dots and they realize Jonah is a servant of Yahweh. And it says they are exceedingly afraid, terrified. Imagine, they were afraid because of the storm. Now they're afraid, exceedingly afraid, it says, because of the maker of storms. And they question him, what have you done? What is this that you have done? It says, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Whether, whether Jonah told them in that conversation or earlier when he's boarding the ship, we don't know. There's differing opinions on that. But they put it together. They they understand. They know that Jonah is fleeing the one true God, Yahweh. And they are terrified. Isn't that interesting? These sailors who do not know the Lord are fearing the Lord, Yahweh, more than Jonah, who knows him, is fearing him. I mean, We're just like, Jonah... You know the Lord. In the past, he's spoken to you. He, he told you what was going to take place in the future. And you, you proclaimed that truth, that promise, that prophecy. You proclaimed that to your people that you love, Israel. And it came true. It happened just as the Lord had said. You know the Lord. You know he's trustworthy. You know him. You fear him. So you say. Where's the fear? When Jonah says he fears the Lord, those of us who are watching, we know better. These men are truly trembling. They're fearing God. They're beside themselves, afraid for their lives, wondering how Jonah could do such a thing. What is this you have done, Jonah? It's a good question for us. How could someone who believes that God Rules everything, and who claims to fear and know and serve him? How could that person live and pretend like he doesn't, like he doesn't reign over all things, like he's not in control? How could a person who believes that, confesses that, serves that God, pretend like that God isn't in control, and live their lives as if he's not? So Jonah's doing. Is that what we do? Is that how we live? Is that how I live? Even though I confess otherwise. Do I truly fear the Lord? Jeremiah 32 verses 39 and 40. The Lord says, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts. That they may not turn from me. That's beautiful. It's the Lord's covenant with us. I'll put the fear of me in them, us, so that they won't turn away from me. How does he do that? Through Jesus. He's given us Jesus. We've talked about each week how Jesus is far greater than Jonah. Jesus says that, that something greater than Jonah has come to you. He's referring to himself. Jesus is better than Jonah. Jonah had to have the truth pulled from him. His life didn't match his proclamation. But Jesus is greater than Jonah. And you look at Jesus and Luke eight one, where it says he was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. Proclaiming the truth, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom knowing what that would knowing what would happen to him he's bringing and proclaiming the kingdom not just that he's greater than Jonah because he bought the kingdom he purchased the kingdom with his own blood his life he's better than Jonah we don't follow Jonah we follow Jesus and now we in Christ those who have had the fear of God put into our hearts that we wouldn't turn away from him because of Christ fearing the lord we're called not to hide our lamp our light this proclamation under a basket jesus says "What well, you've heard whispered proclaim it don't be like jonah be like jesus proclaim it don't be ashamed of the gospel proclaim it he says we're not called to have the truth pulled from us we're called to the Open proclamation of the truth. That's what Paul says in Second Corinthians verse four, or chapter four, verse two. He says, we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. By the open statement of the truth. That's what we're called to, not to be like Jonah, not to not to hide, not to have the truth pulled from us like a a rotten tooth is pulled from us. Is that what we think of the gospel? No, not at all. We see it as glorious and precious and and and, and the greatest story, the greatest truth we have ever heard. Why would we why would have to have that pulled from us? Jonah stands there silent. Jesus openly proclaims the truth. Paul openly proclaims the truth. We're called to do that. We're called to do that to those who are lost. As we see in 2 Corinthians 4. Fully proclaim the truth to those who haven't heard. In fact, he goes on in in those next verses. Speaking of that, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing to those who haven't heard, but also to those who have heard. We're called to proclaim the truth to each other. Ephesians 4, verse 15, as as Paul's given this picture of the body body of Christ being built up together, we're called to speak the truth to one another in love. As we're growing and becoming more like Christ, speak the truth in love. So what is that? What does it mean that we're called to openly proclaim the truth and we're called to speak the truth to each other? What is that? What we see in the scriptures in John fourteen six, it tells us the truth is Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so as people who are unashamed of the gospel, who fear the Lord and want to obey him. When we talk about Jesus with people who don't know him, what are we doing? We're, we're telling them the truth. We're pointing to truth. We're pointing to Christ, the, the one truth that will satisfy the longing in their hearts. When we, when we speak about Jesus, when we're together with the body, we're pointing the body to Jesus, to the truth. Not just that, but we, we know from Jesus in John seventeen seventeen, where he's praying, he says, Lord, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so when we're speaking with those who are, are our neighbors or our co-workers or whatever, and we speak about the word of God, what are we doing? We're giving them truth. We're giving them bedrock to stand on. We're giving them something that won't crumble under their feet, that won't, they won't wake up and be empty and dissatisfied. We're giving them the truth of God's word, and we're pointing them, pointing them to the one who spoke it in hopes that he will open their eyes to believe When we're with the body of Christ and we're speaking the word of God, what are we doing? We're pointing each other to bedrock, to truth that they can stand on. That's going to be actually helpful to brothers and sisters in Christ. And third, we see from 2 Corinthians 4, 2 through 6 that we just read that the truth is the gospel of Jesus. When we talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus... With our neighbors, we are pointing to the only hope for their soul. When we talk about the gospel to each other, those who have professed and believed the gospel, what are we doing? We're solidifying and and pointing them to the gospel that has saved them and it continues to save them. That they would walk in obedience and in response to the goodness of Jesus. Just as Paul says, we've concluded that this is true, therefore the love of Christ controls us. Jesus proclaimed to some disciples who had seen him dead and then seen him alive. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Tell them the gospel. Teach them the gospel that they would believe in me. And then teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. What was the response of those disciples? They received the Holy Spirit. And they joyfully obey. Now, they needed to continue to come back and they needed to confess they were sinners. And, and we see that they were over and over throughout the, the, the book of Acts. They're filled with the Spirit. And what's the response? Boldness, boldness, boldness. To go and proclaim openly the truth about Christ. What about us? Are we more like Jesus or are we more like Jonah. We're like Paul who's openly, the open statement of the truth. Does the truth have to be pulled from us like Jonah or or do we see it as the glorious truth of Jesus, the word made flesh, the good news for all mankind? Are we like Jesus proclaiming and bringing the kingdom to all who have ears to hear? Let me encourage you. Imagine that most of us would confess, and all of us it would probably be true of, probably you hear messages about we ought to go and tell people, we ought to proclaim the gospel, we ought to do this, and you feel inadequate. you think, "I'm not Paul, I'm not Jesus." And I feel inadequate to these things. I, I I don't I don't know what to say. I feel like I get nervous. I, I I I have this idea that I'm going to go up to this co-worker. I'm going to go next door and, and then I'm just I shut down. I just I feel like I'm inadequate. The Lord can use someone better than me to reach that person. And and let me just share with you as we continue reading in Second Corinthians four what Paul says in verse seven, right after he has made this verses two through six that we read, this proclamation, he says this in verse seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to god and not to us if you feel inadequate that is the best job description for someone to go and preach to their neighbor we're all inadequate none of us are adequate paul was not adequate to these things we're talking about the gospel of jesus I'm not worthy of being saved. i was not worthy to receive the gospel for someone else. And I'm not adequate to proclaim this perfect gospel presentation. We proclaim as broken, just weak vessels. We proclaim the gospel and then he is glorified as he takes our inadequateness and does something in the midst of it. And he does that in such a way that he is displayed inadequate is what god is looking for so that the beauty and worth of the gospel is what is elevated and not me it's not about me and you it's about god and his glorious grace that he has lavished on us his son who came and died so that sinners might be forgiven let me pray father thank you for your goodness and grace and we come to you we come to you as inadequate people But you've told us to serve with the strength that you supply. And we know that that strength is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You told us that in Ephesians chapter 1. And so help us, Lord, to not let our inadequateness and our fear of our neighbors and our fear of our co-workers dictate the direction of our lives, Lord. We want to fear you. We want to obey you. We want you to direct our paths. We want your word to direct our paths. We want to be guided by your spirit. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would not use uh, the fact that we're inadequate, the fact that we're afraid. We would not use those as excuses, Lord. We know, God, we know that you reign. You're the God who created the sea and the dry land. You are able You're able to take inadequate lips and incomplete gospel presentations. And you're able to point people to Jesus, Lord, who is adequate for those things. Lord, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy, Lord. Would you help us in our hearts to believe that? Help us to obey Christ And not fear those who can kill our body, Lord. But to fear you who created our body. Who holds us in the palm of your hand. The one who keeps us. And the one we know that nothing can happen to us apart from your will. Lord, help us, we pray. Help us, we pray, that you would be glorified. That's our desire, is that you would be glorified, Lord. We want you to be glorified, so help us,